Welcome to another Ambushed Podcast. This is number 39, and this one is called A Cup in the Ocean, for reasons that you will find out later on. So, welcome, uh, friends and family, old listeners, or long-time listeners, and new ones. This is going to be a great one, and I, I say that frequently, but... Today's episode is, I think it's been a slow buildup of content that almost goes back four or five years, I guess. So I'm not sure when this episode started coming together, but at least some of the things I'm going to be drawing from are from five, six years of life experiences. So thank you for listening and thank you for sharing this with people. It's been fascinating seeing some of the numbers keep going up that people are listening to this. So I consider that a privilege. And some of you have even told me that this is getting better and better. So don't go back and listen to old ones. (laughs) But I appreciate the fact that some people have been listening long enough to be able to hear me get better and better at this. So thank you for the long time, people. So if you're listening while driving or running or at the gym or doing something else, um, I just appreciate it. Thank you so much. Uh, Now, I'm not too sure about this one, but it's also kind of a result of the past number of weeks, I've been having recurring conversations about things. So real fast, just want to give a shout out to a list of people from the past few weeks. So if your name is Josh, Jonathan, Zach, Scott, Christina, Sarah, Julia, Brendan, I'm sure I might have left some other people out, but those of you who do have those names, you know who you are. So this one goes out to you and anyone else who's on the path of trying to figure out who you are and, you know, letting your spirituality come alongside that journey. So this one goes out to you. And as I've mentioned, I've been walking through some of these ideas or this content for a few years now. I'm not an expert on some of the things that are about to be said, but I have, I am an expert on what I've witnessed in my own journey, in my own reflections as I look back in my own journals. So let's just jump on in. There's no reason to delay, right? So this one is called A Cup in the Ocean. A number of weeks ago, I was over at a friend's house and I picked up a book. And it's a fairly a fairly popular book, but I, I'm i going to leave it unnamed. And it was really fun because I opened it up just to peruse through the book, just to take a gander at some of the content. And I got to halfway through and I saw that there was a whole subsection in this book saying that to do self-reflection is unhealthy. And I'll be honest, I didn't read the rest of the chapter. I saw that heading and I closed the book 
put it down, and I said, I think I completely disagree. So to read a book that so many people have been reading and that it had encouraged people to never do self-reflection, it made me queasy. It made me not feel well. I didn't quite feel angry, but I was like, man, I feel as though that is so misguided. So it's true, I think, that modern culture definitely encourages selfishness. And so sometimes as an overreaction, uh, the church often rejects self-reflection as if it were the same thing as just being selfish. But that's wrong. So if you have ever been in a community setting that doesn't encourage you to think about yourself and to reflect because that's taking your eyes off of God, uh, I guess it's good news. I completely disagree with that whole idea. Now, I'm going to unpack that for a little bit further on, but in the earlier, uh, earlier in this episode, I mentioned that this one goes out to anyone who's on the path of trying to figure out who they are. This one is going out to those of you who are trying to take stock of your own life, to, to look deeply at yourself and your relationships with other people, the relationship with things that you have, and just analyze and maybe do some course correction. Well, you can't really do course correction unless you have some ability of self-reflection that leads to self-awareness. And I just want to say before we go on, (laughs) self-awareness is the greatest gift that you can give someone else. Or at least being self-aware is one of the most important gifts that you can give to someone else. Because until you take the time to stop and ask yourself how you relate to other people, until you stop and ask, why did I do that thing that way? Why did I relate to this person like this? Why did I get angry or sad? Or why did I shut down when someone else did this or said this? Um... If you want to become more and more of who you are, it demands that you start doing some self-reflection and ask some of these piercing and deep questions that maybe make you feel uncomfortable. And uh, I would just like to say, have courage, because by the end of the episode, I hope to bring you to a point where you can say, all right, let's do this. Let's ask the hard questions. I don't think it's too far off to say that everyone in their early childhood develops their first imprints of how to relate to other people. And even in your toddler years, you start to understand how you should even relate to yourself. And I think if we're being honest, there's probably somewhere in each of us one of the earliest uh, events that shape us for the rest of our lives. 
what do I mean by that? That probably every one of us in our early years have an experience, have a moment where we were wounded or we were shown how to relate to other people. So maybe, let's say, you are three or four years old and you are able to start understanding the world around you and that there are people who you look up to, it could be a parent or a parental figure who says at one point, wow, thank you so much. I love it when you help out. Or maybe there's a moment where someone stops and says, wow, great job. It's great when you start (laughs) doing these things, when you earn an award. Maybe you have been around brothers and sisters or in a family where everyone's fighting and then you somehow get it into you that oh people like it if I'm the one that makes everything calm or maybe you get it into your head that oh people like it when I am funny or maybe you start to say people like me when I'm smart You see what I mean? Every one of us at some point have something communicated to us about how we are valued. That we are valued according to what we do. That we are valued or loved or accepted most when we are being helpful. Or when we create stability around us. Maybe we got it into us that we are most lovable when we make really good art and so some of these earliest memories uh, imprint us and they set us on a path and then these things uh, set the tone or they make a groove for how we try to then relate to everyone else that we meet for the rest of our lives in some sense you could say that very early on we each develop a marketing plan about how to present ourselves. That you and I maybe settle into a personality and start focusing on traits that we think other people will love us for the most or accept us the most for. And then unfortunately, into our teenage years and then maybe into our 20s or 30s, that whole marketing plan of the personality that we develop because we think that's the one that will earn us the most amount of love and acceptance. Uh, It becomes our whole identity. Oh, so-and-so over there, they're smart. That person over there, they get stuff done. That person over there, they fight a lot. They like to challenge. They like to rebel. Or this person over here, they make really good art. And all of these things can become your identity. But a few, um, I want to say maybe a month ago, I was having a conversation with a whole bunch of other church workers. There was about 25 of us in the room. And we started talking over the topics of how do you have a good work and personal life balance, which is a fantastic conversation because some churches and organizations are, 
are known for overworking certain people, are known for not having good boundaries because you're in the people business and you should always be willing to bend over backwards to help other people. Well, in the midst of all of this, uh, I kind of sat there quietly listening to all of these comments from about 25 other people. And then I slowly raised my hand and said, you know what? The thing we think that people love us for the most can become our slave master. That the thing we think other people will accept us for the most can also be the thing that crushes us or crushes our families or, or just takes us down a dark path when it's let to be the main focus. So let's say you're someone who's known for being a good teacher. Well, if you're not careful, you might over-identify with what you do. And then you become a slave to being seen as a good teacher. And that's all you care about. And then you start focusing on that so much that you start ignoring family members. Or you start ignoring your own personal physical health and then emotional health. The same thing can be said for, um, well, I guess artists. Uh, the same thing can certainly be said for public speakers. The same thing can be said for counselors. It doesn't really matter your profession. But the thing you think that other people love you for the most can also be the thing that really drains you if you let that be the sole thing that you build your life around. And so in the Buddhist tradition, there's the question of what does your original face look like? The you before you settled into the you that you are now, <laughs> uh, what did that person look like? Before you settled into a marketing plan that you would present other people that you thought would earn you the most amount of love and acceptance, who was that person? before you settled into this persona you have now. Now, maybe the word original is a little hard because you can't quite get back to the original. Maybe true? Who is the true or the deepest you? Maybe you could ask, who is the eternal you? The you that is there and present always, but sometimes is wearing a mask. That is sometimes dominated by the pursuit of impressing other people, including yourself. Who is that person? Hmm. Now moving on. I think there are some tools about helping us to answer that question. Who am I really? If I am not my achievements, if I am not the things that I think make me the most lovable or acceptable, who is the real me? Well, of course, maybe some of you know the, the personality tests, like the Myers-Briggs. Uh, that's one way of starting to figure out more and more about how you are how you relate to yourself and to things around you, to people. The Myers-Briggs, though, is built off of 16 different personality types, and you can definitely go take uh, the online tests to see how you relate 
and that's a good one. But to me, that seems still interested in how you uh, categorize or assimilate information from the world around you. Now, for about three and a half years, I have been reading up and, and getting into the Enneagram, which yes, has become rather popular, especially in the past like six months, it seems. It's kind of boomed in different ways and places. But I think this one's a pretty helpful one. Whether you do the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram or the other one, DISC, D-I-S-C, uh, they're all good tools to help you to understand how you relate. Uh, the Enneagram seems to be very interested in your motivations of helping you ask the question, why did I do this thing this way? Why did I relate to this person this way? Why do I react to certain situations this or that way? So I think the Enneagram is rather good because it can be piercing when you do it. Now that one, in contrast to the Myers-Briggs, I would say don't do the online tests. Instead, read the nine types, take a guess at which one you think is yours, and then observe yourself for two weeks, and then come back and double check to see if that really is you. Because the Myers-Briggs, or the DISC, or the Enneagram, sometimes we do these tests according to who we think other people think we are, or we do these tests according to who we want to be, but both of those are wrong. The question is, who am I now? Now, how does this relate to spirituality? I think uh, this connection between spirituality and psychology, some people hold it at an arm's distance, and maybe you do too. Maybe you have a distrust of all things psychological or seeing counseling or a therapist. Yes, as a science, psychology is relatively young, but it is one of the most powerful things out there, and there absolutely is a stigma against seeing a therapist or going to counseling and doing reflection in this type of way. In some sense, that's because bad approaches to faith and spirituality have really really given it its stigma that's really undeserved and that's really unfair. So if you come from a, a faith background that, that really shuts down psychology or counseling or seeing a therapist, especially after you've gone through trauma or have PTSD of some sort, uh, I have good news. You don't have to follow that. <laughs> you don't have to follow a faith uh, perspective that that insults those approaches to wealth. Uh, I mean, not wealth, I meant wellness and health. But for me, spirituality has a lot to do with grace and love and freedom. Uh, and not only that, but spirituality, if it's done well, it actually helps us, it helps us to own our stuff, to be honest with ourself about our own stuff. You see, every single person kind of gives into certain 
defense mechanisms. We like to repress or deny or justify uh, a lot of our actions. We don't want to say that we have any vices because our egos won't let us. The, the side of us that doesn't want to admit that we've got mistakes or fractures or uh, places where we lack or have insufficiencies. There's a whole part of our personality that doesn't want to look at those things. But a good and healthy approach to faith and spirituality will help us to stop denying, stop repressing, and stop justifying some of our actions and, and instead learn to just be honest and to own the stuff that we got. Because, like I said, a good spirituality should hopefully be grounded in grace and love and freedom. So how does grace, love, and freedom fit into all of this? Well, grace is the recognition that I don't need to impress other people or even myself. So I don't need to play the game that I learned at three or four years old that I am lovable if I'm helping people or I'm lovable if I know things or I'm lovable if I can settle conflicts around me or I'm a good teacher or I'm super positive. Um, I've known some people that try to be positive at all times and then that's exhausting for them. Because how do you be positive when you don't feel positive? And so to fake it is just a really taxing and tiring thing. But you know what? There's grace. You are lovable and acceptable even if you don't uh, stay chipper and happy all the time. Love fits in there just for the same reason. Like you are lovable not because of what you do, just because you are. Just because you are. And then freedom is in there because you are free to stop playing the game. You don't have to keep tiring yourself out in the game that you play. You don't have to be a slave to impressing other people, including yourself. And maybe even some of us, it would be good to learn you are free to not have to impress God, which is probably the worst kind of slavery. Living your whole life just trying to impress God. You see, because... In today's world, there seems to be a myth that causes so much anger and depression and frustration and sadness. Man, and this, this myth is that you can be whole, that you can be complete, that you can finally arrive and be where you've always wanted to be, where everything is easy and good, and you now have everyone's acceptance and love but my good news that doesn't sound like good news is you will never be whole. You will never be complete and you will never finally arrive. <laughs> now that doesn't say uh, 
or that doesn't sound like good news, but trust me, it is. Because as soon as you realize, okay, if I'm never going to feel 100% complete, if I'm never going to feel 100% uh, whole or as though I fully have arrived and now life is easy, um, it means you don't have to play the game anymore. And instead, you let grace fill that gap where you are still not whole. You let grace fill in that space where you are incomplete. You let grace fill in that space between where you are now and where you would like to arrive. You see, for me, since there is no such thing, maybe as wholeness or being complete or arriving, to me the question is, how do I just be integrated? How do I use every part of my personality, everything I've gone through, the good and the bad, the successes and the glories, or the successes and the failures, the glories and the mistakes, how do I let all of that, the pluses and the minuses, all come together and be integrated? How do I draw all of my life's experience together into this moment to teach me about how to be me? the deepest me, the truest me, or same thing for you. How do you let all of your life's um, successes and losses, all of your wins and all of your tragedies, how do you let all of these things spur you on? Well, part of it means editing your own life story. Try to sit down with a piece of paper and rewrite out the story of something bad that happened to you and try to, this time, use different words than you have in the past and instead make this moment, instead of something that almost destroyed you, make it into something that became uh, a catapult or a springboard to something else. That's not to diminish that it was hard or that it was a rough season of life that it was incredibly difficult. I'm not saying get rid of that. But there's something different when you tell the story of a failure or a mistake or a loss in such a way that it wasn't the last chapter of your book. Because sometimes some of us stop growing after a loss, after a tragedy, after something hard that has happened to us but if you're still around then that means that thing hasn't been the end of you so good job on that great job i'm not trying to be facetious like seriously good job you did not let that thing take you over so why not tell the story in that way too so to go back to that book about self-reflection i hated reading that sentence that self reflection is destructive or unhealthy I'm like oh man because for me I love this quote that goes back to the 300s from uh, an early early philosopher from North Africa called Augustine who said oh God ever the same help me to know myself that I might better know you 
I think that's marvelous. That is just beautiful. Oh God, ever the same, help me to know myself that I might better know you. There is grace. Be free. Live your life in and with love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Give yourself some grace. Stop playing the games of trying to impress other people or yourself or even God. Don't become a slave to the things that you think other people love you for the most. And, and show yourself some grace and be okay with the fact that other people may never have a good view of you. What, what is the phrase? It's like, you could be the most delicious and succulent peach in the entire history of peaches, and yet there could still be someone out there who just doesn't like peaches. <laughs> there is grace. Be free. Live in love. Stop playing the games. You don't need to impress others, yourself, or even God. A few nights ago, I was over at a friend's house and there was a group of people that I hadn't seen in, man, almost five or six years. So I got there maybe close to seven and we ended up talking till 2.30 in the morning. You have, if you have friends like that where you could just sit down and five hours pass and you're still not tired of talking, those are some good people. And, uh, my conversations right there with Chris and Bridgie, who I love dearly, and then Joe Fujula, who I also love, but I haven't seen him in a long time. Uh, we talked till about 2.30 in the morning on nothing more than just goodness, life and faith and, and God and ethics and politics and world uh, problems. And then there was this great conversation about cups <laughs> and we we dived into the Enneagram for a bit and we started talking about what does it mean to have a spirituality that influences how you relate to yourself um, and then we brought up that that classic imagery of a cup that's got a chip in the side of it and some people like to say, all right, here's you, you're the cup. And maybe you've got some cracks in you. Maybe you've got some imperfections, but it's okay. Cause when you pour into the cup, the, the overflow happens quicker because the water is pouring out through the crack in the cup, through the chip, through the fracture. And I thought that was okay, but you know what? I don't know if I, I like that imagery because it's like saying, oh, good, like the good stuff overflows out of you because you've got more imperfections. And so it was fascinating. We all remembered this ancient Japanese art form called kintsugi, 
where they take a, a cup or a piece of pottery and they smash it and then they glue it back together with gold. So the gold makes the glue between all the cracks. And so every cup doesn't crack the same, but it's still a cup. And so every place where you're broken and have a chip, it's unique. But at least you've been put back together. It was a cool moment, and then I also thought, well, I don't really think that grace pours into us like that. In fact, I actually want to say right now, it's almost like that cup isn't being poured into. It's that that cup is sitting on the bottom of an ocean. It's not even being poured into because that cup is sitting on the bottom of the sea floor, and it's surrounded by millions and billions of gallons of grace. You and I don't need to impress others or ourselves or even God because we're not being poured into with grace. It's that we are drowning in grace at every moment. And so how absurd is it that if we're drowning in grace, that the divine is constantly swirling around us with love and acceptance. It kind of makes our little games so trite, so unnecessary, so comical. The masks that we wear sometimes are just pointless when it's a mask that's at the bottom of an ocean. And so that's the title of this one. This is episode 39, and this one is called A Cup in the Ocean. So to go back to the very, very beginning, I said this one goes out to all those people who are on the path of trying to figure out who they are. I'm going to say a few things, just some last thoughts, and then I'm going to give, I'm going to give you a, a benediction. Um, learn to reflect on your life. Learn to ask yourself the questions. Learn to ask yourself, why did I do that that way? Why do I shut down when somebody says something about this? Why do I get excited when someone else says something about that thing? Why do I feel this compulsive need to perform or to know or to help or to calm other people down? Why is it that I avoid conflict or why do I avoid pain? Why do I avoid awkward conversations? Why do I avoid arguments like the plague? Why am I so afraid of confronting someone or being confronted by someone? And then, in the midst of all of that, try not to um, be too hard on yourself. Learn from your mistakes. Learn to pull them all together. Let them be your teacher. Let your mistakes teach you something that your strengths can't. 
And then maybe in the midst of looking at all of your mistakes and glories and the ways that you try to impress others, the games that we all play, maybe in the midst of all of that, also learn just to show yourself some grace. Because it's not that you're getting it little by little. It's that you're already drowning in it. And that's a wonderful thing. So maybe as you try to live your life in grace and in love and in freedom, maybe you can help other people to live their lives with grace and love and in freedom. So, my beloved, may you this week have the courage and the strength to do some honest self-reflection. May you have the grit to stop denying or repressing or justifying some of your bad habits. And may you come to find not only that you maybe have chips or cracks, but may you come to find that there's already some golden glue that's holding you together. And then on top of that, may you come to see that you are like a cup at the bottom of the ocean that you are always surrounded by grace and love and acceptance, whether you know it or not. And so may you live out of that reality this week. Amen. <laughs> uh, I hope this was a good one. So thank you for listening. It's a privilege that any of you even take time to listen to this. So we'll catch you next time. Grace and peace and goodness and blessings and all these wonderful things be unto you. Catch you next time.